Guasso, bro. Ay. <laughs> There's not a rule that you have to use the three subs. He's, he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Welcome back to episode 95 of the Third Sub Podcast, presented by Macy's Sports. I'm your co-host, Alexander Gongi-Ruzik, joined as always by Samuel Rowan. And boy, do we got some Vancouver Whitecaps soccer to talk about today on the show. But before we dive into that, Sam, how's it going? After a nice, beautiful weekend, maybe if you, you know, if you don't like soccer, if you'd like to go outside, enjoy nature, but maybe not so great weekend if you do like to watch soccer. Yeah, looking back, let me let me put it this way. The the rest of my afternoon was and evening was much more enjoyable than the Vancouver Whitecaps match. And this was the first one this year where it really felt like a letdown. It was a disappointing performance all round. You know, look back at Minnesota the week before, there were lots of positives despite a loss. This one, you even heard in the post-match press conference, whether it was Mark Dosanatos, whether it was the players, the, you know, the chorus was the same. We were simply outplayed. It wasn't good enough. And that showed on the pitch, frankly. And so a little bit of soul searching here for the Whitecaps for sure. Maybe a return to the the tactical board to figure out what exactly went wrong, what they have to improve upon. And what makes it tricky for the Whitecaps and not great timing in terms of this two-match winless streak is you've only got one fixture upcoming to, in air quotes, fix things before the international break. And what kind of run of form you go into that break on is going to set the tone for how you're feeling about yourself for the next month after that, right? So I think it's, you know, if the Whitecaps are staring down the barrel of three straight going into a month off, that's going to be tough. So a lot of pressure now lies on this Houston match. But uh, before we, you know, we're not going to talk too much about that. We're going to focus on the match that was against SKC. And uh, yeah, without further ado, Alex, let's, let's dive into it. Yeah, let's just say I went to the beach yesterday and I saw more attacking from the white caps there than I saw in the white caps on the pitch. But uh <laughs> talking about the game itself, I mean, where do we start? Some to you know, as I mentioned, the attack just non-existent really when you look at by any metric, eye test, statistical numbers, etc. Defensively was a very big step back, a letdown, so to speak. The first shellacking after what had been five solid to good defensive performances up until that point while the Whitecaps certainly came down to earth in this game and that's I think just that combination is frustrating because it was a return to the 2019-2020 Vancouver Whitecaps days it's one thing to have a bad defensive performance but you're you know you're creating chances at least the game's open you're losing in an entertaining way but then it's all you know and it's another thing to be defending well and not scoring goals at least it's a close nil nil one nil game well we just saw neither on this game and i think that was the most frustrating thing because it was just so like hopeless it was it wasn't like there was any sort of sentiment like okay they're getting you know every time kansas go up the field it feels like they're gonna score well at least vancouver it's the same way or you know defensively they're you know you might not be scoring goals but defensively you're holding together 
there, there was just no cohesion between those two things. And I think that has to be the most frustrating thing if you watch that game and saw what the Vancouver Whitecaps were up to. And, and thinking back to the prior matches from this season, slow starts had been a, a common characteristic throughout. But something felt different about this so slow start. As you mentioned, Kansas City looking dangerous basically every time they were on the ball. I think I tweeted out five minutes in, like there was just way too much space for Kansas City to run, too much space in passing lanes. No pre- Like where was the pressing? There was no effective pressing of the ball whatsoever. And it only took that five minutes into the match to realize it was probably going to be a long day. And unlike these other you know, matches earlier in the year where it felt like, okay, the Whitecaps might be struggling a bit off the hop, but they, they're going to find their footing. They're going to get into this match. It just never really happened short of maybe the moment Michael Baldissimo came on, him, Bikel Alessandre at the end of the first half there, there are a couple half chances where there was some semblance of a formula of creation, but it never really went anything beyond that. And so to see even those little bits like, okay, you have a slow start, but then you progress into the match, to see that revert as well is definitely concerning because you don't you don't want to be a slow starting team. And I asked Mark DeSantos about it after the match, and you can tell he's definitely frustrated in that regard, especially because something like the way you come out of the gates is particularly reflective on the coaching and the preparation or lack thereof that's been done. So it's I I think you know they need a strong start against Houston. Otherwise, you're you're going to continue to wonder is that going to be a problem all year. Yeah, well, you kind of got me going two directions after that, but I'll go first. What you touched upon, of course, with the slow starts, and it's an issue. I, I wrote about it today. Through, what, six games now? The Vancouver Whitecaps are yet to score a first-half goal, period. All five of their goals have come in the second half. They've been outscored 4-0 to nil throughout first halves this season. They're outscoring their opponents 5-3 to three in the second half, but when you're digging yourself these these sorts of holes in the beginning of games... It just doesn't make it very easy to grab points later in the game, especially if you go down a goal or two. And I think it's very indicative of of how they're playing right now that they're only two wins through six games. They were clean sheets. They're games where you didn't concede that goal in the first half. You go into the second half, you find a bit of magic, you you know, you win because you just look elsewhere. There was, there was that TFC game, which just looking back with each game they play just looks better and better for some reason. It's, it's now very quickly become the outlier match in the white cap season so far, which was funny because after a game like that, we were lamenting, like, you know, not as good. There's a wasted opportunity, yada, yada. Looking back, it's like, you're just sitting there, like, give this to me. Like, you know, I'll take it watching a a two, two at this point instead of a shellacking, but it's an issue because you look at all the other games. I mean, Portland and Montreal, they kept their opponents at bay. They won by clean sheet. But you look at Colorado, they concede an early goal. The hole was just too big. They concede early against TFC, but then, you know, it took a monumental effort against a team in, in a similar situation to them, like Toronto, who is away from home, was tired to do the Champions League. That's what it took to overcome them. You, you see against Minnesota, to be fair, they didn't concede that first half goal. So that was the lone outlier. But, you know, just in the second half, they didn't create enough. And one goal was enough to kind of sink them. And then lastly, this Kansas City game, you go down two, you know, going down two goals is never an ideal format. But it was just one of those where even when they went down one, you're like, this was over. You, you pretty much could have just turned off the it, TV. It felt, it felt over before they conceded the goal. Because even really? up leading yeah. up to that, it was only a matter of time before they conceded. 
Yeah. Well, I just mean like obviously when it's nil nil, they score a goal. You know, they're still alive. It just felt when it was one nil. It doesn't matter what happened. It was game over, and that's not a good feeling to have when you're watching a team and and that happens. And I mean. Yes, that's not necessarily something that's happened all too often this year. Even when they've conceded goals, you're like, okay, they can get back into games. But either way, they're going to have to fix this slow start problem because until they figure out how to put the ball between the whatever the, the dimensions of the net are, the eight by four or whatever the heck it is in soccer, they're going to need to just to start, you know, start better than they have because there's just so much pressure on their defenders right now. And when the defenders have an off game, as they did against SKC, it can really, the house can, so, you know, the house of cards just falls apart completely. And I guess this, this kind of leads back to a discussion we've had a lot in this podcast when trying to dissect Vancouver Whitecaps performances. Again, with the, with the injuries right now, with the absences, Yes, overall, the Whitecaps have improved their squad depth, but they still teeter so dangerously close to being, you know, you pull one important piece out of the lineup, and as you said, the whole house of cards falls down, and it would have seemed crazy to start the year, but I feel like in this match, Andy Rose was that weight-bearing card, and when you Mm -hmm. pulled that card away, everything just fell to pieces, and I mean, even... You even saw with Derek Cornelius and the and Ranko together in the second half of the Minnesota match, there were more issues and it just overall organizationally didn't work. You're also missing Bruno Gaspar, who had really helped bring some balance. And it just felt like those two changes, it was it was far too much for the Whitecaps defense to bear in this one. And I also think it's something we can get into in a moment here. Peter Vermees owns Mark DeSantos right now in terms of the coaching matchup. And I feel like SKC did a lot of little things to, you know, put that defensive line under stress, really exposed something not to pat myself on the back too, too much. But the moment I saw the lineup come out in our pre-match show, I looked at Raposo and Nerwinski together on that right-hand side and went, oh boy, that could be a problem. And indeed it was. Yeah, I mean, we can dive into the, some of the individuals shortly as in the center. I'm bouncing around a little bit everywhere. I'm just throwing yeah. my commentary every which way. You're, so. you're, you're throwing a bunch of knockout punches here. I'm trying to dodge <laughs> all of them and, and pick up what I can. But, uh, you know, before we dive into the individuals, we'll try to keep a bit of cohesion. You know, there there is one point I do want to just, you know, address as well in terms of we'll, we'll go into the tactics first, but. I think it also it might be time to start sounding the alarms with the the white caps road woes because I feel you know this one's this one's a bit of a tough one because we haven't actually talked about this at all and you know some people have brought it up to Mark DeSantos like Mark are you worried about the fact that your team just isn't doing all that well on the road and he mentioned I'm thinking of I'm thinking of Har Har's brought it up several times yes you know shout out to Har journalist for never shying away from a tough question that that she wasn't scared to ask but uh you know Mark DeSantos has been asked in the past do you fear your record on the road and you know his answer and understandably so it's not something I'd want to feel is we don't have a home right now everything's away but at a certain point, the numbers don't lie. With this loss against SKC, that's now, they've only picked up points in two of their last 12 games where they were the road opponent. Yes, there were two in there where I think, or there was one in there where they played Portland and they were staying in Portland, so they weren't really the away team. I just counted what was on the, you know, the scoreboard, them as the away team. Two, you know, two out of the last 12 games, one win out of 12. The other one was that draw against Toronto FC. 
Like that's just, you know, it's without, you know, do not sugarcoat it. It's awful. And to, to like contrast it with good stat out of their last 12 home games. And only three of those were actual home games. They've won eight times out of 12. That's a fantastic record. Like, like, you know, that's not even like average or decent eight wins out of 12 games. You do that over the course of a 17 game home schedule. That's mostly, you know, you pick up a, you only need a few results on the road to be a playoff team at that point. You don't need to be, you know, some, some team that's winning one out of two games on the road. You need to be winning one or three or one out of four, but despite their fantastic home record, which it makes sense. They were as you know, they weren't necessarily a playoff team, but they were close to the playoffs despite their abysmal road record. But at a certain point it needs to be addressed. It needs to be fixed because the issues they're facing on the road is issues that all teams are facing the in and out on the same day, the travel and heck this sporting Kansas city game. That wasn't even an excuse because they traveled the day before due to the fact that they had to play at 11. It's just, it's a problem really. And it's starting to be a worry because at this point, you know, even when the white caps return home and there's no longer that excuse, they're still going to have to play road games and they have to fix this one way or another, because this could be the difference between them being a playoff team and them being a team on the bubble. It's interesting because I would have thought just from a, you know, thousand feet up point of view that being set up in Utah would have made the road experience easier. You don't have to clear borders. Overall, the travel distance and time to a place like Kansas City, like Portland, like where like a lot of these places centrally in the United States or even the East Coast, like you're going to have shorter travel times. So, I'm I'm surprised that the Whitecaps haven't almost benefited a bit in terms of the road performances from being in Utah so far. And it's, it's hard to pin down. I don't know if I can, I can point to one specific thing, but as you said, every team is facing it. It's not some, some unique plight. And I think it's, a, it's especially not unique based on the fact that they're set up in the United States. Because I do get Vancouver, you just look at, the, look at the map and it's very isolated. So there's a lot of much longer... I mean, I want to say if you're, if you're going to Kansas City a lot of time you'd be connecting through Denver or something like that. Or if it's a direct flight, it's like four, four and a half hours, which is, you know, probably much. I can't think of another team in MLS where it probably takes that long to get to Kansas city. So they have gotten rid of that to some degree, at least in in the present. So what's the problem? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm really, I'm flummoxed in that regard. Well, I just, I wanted to bring it up because at a certain point, it's just the for me it's the contrast with the home record because if everything every game is away why is there such a vast contrast i mean over similar spans of 12 games so i guess 24 the last 24 games total how have they picked up um 24 points out of a possible i guess it would have been well, quick math 36 whereas at home away from home they've only picked up four out of a possible 36 and, like, and you're missing the you're missing the crowds i mean obviously we've seen kansas city minnesota some fans but up until that point there was no crowd really home pitch advantage and it's not like soccer's a a game that lends itself terribly to to the home away. team in terms of rules right like it not even well, like hockey where you're dealing with a long change for two periods yeah, like I mean, I guess if you go to New York, for example, and play at Yankee Stadium, there is a bit of difference in terms of fields. But it's like, it's not like they're playing in, in unique grounds. Like it just for me, it's it's flummoxing. I just wonder. I wonder a few a few things. Certainly, I'll pose it. I think the lack of rotation certainly has to p- play a role in that because 
you know, if, if DeSantos and the Caps are going to talk about fatigue being an issue constantly, the travel, I think playing the same guys over and over and then expecting them to have to deal with the, you know, the having to play the same day as flying, that's certainly not going to help. That doesn't seem conducive. But also you, you do have to wonder if just, yeah, the style of play is also is something worth, you know, worth noting that, okay, when you, when you got a bit of tired legs, maybe you're, they're not necessarily setting themselves up to play a, you know, a way that, that suits the, you know, the, the personnel that they have, the energy levels. But uh, it's something that if you're, if you're the Whitecaps, I think, you know, instead of saying, okay, you know, life is tough for the Vancouver Whitecaps, we haven't been at home for much of the year. It's just, it has to be something that has to be addressed. Like, I don't have much to say. I don't have much to solution other than like rotate your squad more. If you're going to have to be dealing with these extraneous flying circumstances but other than that i just think it's something to put out there to keep an eye on it's kind of like the early days of the open goal like open play goal problem where you're like okay you know they're they're not scoring from open play but surely that's going to fix itself right but i think this road problem it's become too big to ignore and i think it's something that we're gonna have to start keeping an eye on if you're the white caps because there's so many key road games too that's coming up and it's I think I'll have to do further research on this because I'm fascinated with this. For me, I think it actually is something that stems back to 2019. If I, if I remember correctly, most of the Whitecaps wins were actually at home versus away. And it, 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 in MLS, teams have always been better at home. This is not like some sort of magic thing, like, ooh, what, one team in MLS is better at home than away. But uh, it just boggles my mind how stark this contrast is. And it's something that... that it could pre- prove to be a limiting factor for, for DeSantis in his time as a Whitecaps coach. Yeah, I guess as a, as a final point on that, as I've sort of thought about it and you're, you're explaining your, your thoughts, I go to an article that J.J. Adams wrote before this SKC match about the distance the Vancouver Whitecaps have run so far this year and mm-hmm. how they're, they're basically, you know, out hustling every other team in MLS by by like a relatively large margin. Like it's these aren't fine margins. It's the Whitecaps are the outlier in this category, and I just don't think that's a that's not a style of play that holds up well, point blank. But it's also not a style that holds up well with limited squad rotation, with travel challenges, and playing in unfamiliar environments. Like it doesn't help you get settled in. It doesn't. It was kind of like what the Whitecaps looked like against SKC. They were running for their lives the entire match, and they never really got settled in at all, right? And so you just, it's one of those things where when you start running and you're chasing the game, the more you chase the game, the more it self-fulfills, and you continue to chase the game, and then because you're chasing the game so badly, you have to run even more, and then it just gets away from you. And so there's something in that style of play that's not working for the Whitecaps, especially paired up with the travel. And so they, the Whitecaps, along with their performance staff, like this be, could be something where the, the fitness tracking, the, the analytics, the data might play into it as well. You have to figure out creative ways to either use your players more efficiently or create more squad rotation, whatever it is, but it's something's going wrong. Yeah. Well, it's for sure. I think it's going to have to come down to creative solution and, you know, if it, if it means going going away and rotating your squad and playing more conservatively at this point is, is something that, say, last year I wouldn't want to necessarily admit. I want the Whitecaps to be a team that plays relatively consistently, that doesn't experiment too much once they found a way in terms of, okay, you have your identity, you press high, this and that. But at this point, 
whatever they're doing on the road isn't working. You have to, at a certain point, you know, as, as the, the, the famous man, A.E. Albert Einstein once said, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting something different. So it's like you mentioned, there needs to be a, a creative solution. There needs to be something done. But I guess kind of on that note as well, it was something we brought up here. Is it time to just change the tactics as a whole as well? We've talked about it on the road and obviously it's something they'll have to do on the road. But do you think maybe we're, we're kind of starting to see some of the limitations of the 4-4-2 in recent games, teams starting to adjust to it, see what the Whitecaps are up to, and might it be time for them to to start veering in a different direction, not only for that, but also just to start to accommodate some of their players that are getting up to full speed and starting to, to show up and be options for the team right now? Yeah, it's obviously something they're going to have to consider. I don't, if we're just talking realistically, I don't know if they are going to make a change prior to this break. Like, I don't, if I'm trying to get inside Mark DeSantos' head, I don't see them making a major change for one match prior to a pro- prolonged break. Because I think they would view that as a better time to kind of dig into these things, look at patterns and whatnot. I think what really hurt the Whitecaps as much as the tactics itself in the SKC match was the fact that it wasn't just the 4 4 2 they'd played all year, but it was a a very diet version of the 4-4-2 they'd play all year, right? You, Andy Rose is your first choice center back right now. That's that's the way it is. So you're missing him. Bruno Gaspar, who could provide that offensive balance along with Christian Gutierrez, was missing as well. Russell Tybert, for whatever you make of his performance overall, his role on the left was just... It, it didn't work the same when they flipped the winger sides and then you had Ryan Raposo fill in. It didn't work, right? And so, in in addition then to squad rotation, where you also kind of, you know, lessen the ability of those guys because they're maybe not at full fitness or they can't give the same pressing effort, the same hustle that they'd been able to give in previous matches. So, I'm, I'm not sure. I do think the formation needs tweaks. I don't know if I can just flat out say that the the 442 is broken and it doesn't work cuz I actually I think there's lots of things about it early in the year even against Minnesota against TFC where there are really positive signs but it definitely needs tweaks. So I think they're sticking with it against Houston they'll just try to rest and recover and maybe make subtle tweaks. Could there be a change to a 433 you know something even more creative than that when we come back from this prolonged break maybe but I don't think so. I think Mark has has made a stand and decided what shape he wants to go with. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you know five or six losses in a row could very easily change things, but that's that's how I'm seeing it right now. Well, yeah, I think the the four four two it works defensively. I'm never gonna shy away from a four four two defensively. I heck, I think when the Whitecaps have a four three three or if they're playing a three four three or whatever the heck they decide to play. I still think they should defend in a 4-4-2 just because it makes sense to limit, you know, two blocks of four, try to try to keep little space between the two fours, let the, the, the two up front kind of rotate the flexibility that it provides. It makes sense. And they've defended like that for most of the year. It hasn't been a problem, but I think the big issue just looking back at the game against Kansas was how weird the 4-4-2 was like even just the position map, which I've been studying after every game, most games, what actually ends up happening in possession is that the Whitecaps play a 4-2-3-1. But, you know, they get four guys in attack. But t- today's game, with the or today's game, the Sunday's game, 
the 442 was a genuine 442 in attack, which just considering the lack of options they already have up top gives you an idea of why they were struggling to create chances because you just look at it. Christian Gutierrez was a little deeper than he usually was, so they weren't getting that with. Jake Nerwinski was very far back, which is unusual because he he usually for you know he he goes up the field a lot more, and especially after Bruno Gaspar's game on Wednesday, where he was in the opponent's half. Jake Nerwinski was nowhere near that. And even just otherwise, that flat four of Ryan Raposo, Diber Caicedo, Kyle Alexandre, Daniel Bakel, they were very deep in possession, and it really just left Lucas Cavallini and Christian Dahomey on an island. And tactically, that's just not going to work. At least in the 4-2-3-1, you can, you know, question the use of Russell Tybert as a winger, et cetera, et cetera. But guys were getting forward, like Christian Gutierrez. Even Jake Nowinski was getting forward. It wasn't just a Bruno Gaspar thing. Jake Nowinski wasn't as far back as he was against KC. And if the 4-4-2 is going to look like that, it doesn't work. And I think what what makes this discussion so interesting is the fact that they finally tried a 4-3-3 they showed the you know the capability of being like okay we're gonna put our three best midfielders out on the park together gonna play a front three and try it and they looked a lot better I mean they didn't score any goals they did concede a pretty tough goal but you know in, in the first 35 minutes of the game they were getting their lunch fed to them in that in the last 65 minutes of the game and maybe it's score effects maybe SKC just got tired of bullying them they looked competent. They looked like had they started in a, in a setup like that, they were they were more up for a result, let's just say. It wasn't like before where as soon as they went down, it was game over. And just seeing that what that 4-3-3 provided in flashes, and there was still more that could be done in that 4-3-3. I just think of Bruno Gaspar, obviously, as, as an option. The, the center backs, like we mentioned, where, what, what a guy like Leonard Owusu could do in that as well. I think that 4-3-3, that 60 minutes of 4-3-3 all of a sudden makes the formation discussion a whole lot more interesting heading into Houston, heading into after the break. Because like you mentioned, before then I was kind of resigned to the 4-4-2. I'd kind of grown to accept it. And it had its limitations, but it also had really positive moments. But I just can't think that you, you see what the, the glimpses of what for, the 4-3-3 provide and think, okay, could this not be something worth exploring more of? It's definitely worthy of exploration, at the very least, as a as something you really train up as a as an option to switch to mid match if you don't like the way things are going. I still really, really want to see Alshandre play that Russell Tybert left side role, because I think like that's a way to kind of sneak in a three man midfield and still get that four four two shape defensively, and then also have someone who's much more positive going forward in that role. I think that that's tantalizing. I don't know if that my hope ideally would be that we see that against Houston and get a little taste of it going into the break. That's kind of what I'd be feeling. But uh, yeah, it's just tough to go 4-3-3 because then it's it's such a delicate balance between the two man and three man midfield because obviously you'd like to have you like to have those three midfielders in there but if you use those spots on three midfielders then you're you're giving up something else in another area whether it's an attacking piece whether you know it's a transitional piece it's it i don't know i think that that alshandre role is a a potential solution kind of in some ways to you know plaster over the lack of winger depth but also continue a lot of those positive elements about getting Gutierrez forward and more involved. Look, I mean, 
I don't care if the, they're playing Daniel Bakel is a false center back or Kyle Alexander is a false winger. Or Lucas Cavallini is a false number eight. If it on paper, it's a false two- everything. Yeah, I don't care if it's a false everything, and they come out in the in a one 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 or you know like a like a three. I don't even want to like yeah like a two five three or something like that. As long as there's three men in the midfield, there's you know a front three so to speak or even a front two. A lot of support from the fullbacks. I think it can work. I think there, there's the, the pieces for that offensive. I think it's obviously, we, as we noted, it's, it's just purely semantics about how it lines up and how it defends, etc. With the Whitecaps, as long as they defend in a 4-4-2 and they find a way to get more bodies involved and attack and attack more dangerous channels, I think they'll, they'll be able to solve their offensive woes. But I just think the way things have looked now, and I think you see it in a game like this, I think just seeing that pair of Kyle Alexander and Daniel Bakel as good as they are together, the Whitecaps don't have a true horse for a two-man midfield. Like, there's just not that guy who can be in a two-man midfield and do what they need to do offensively, at least. Maybe defensively, I think Daniel Bakel and Kyle Alexander can do the job, but I just think the Whitecaps have such a creative problem, so to speak, that they need more from their midfield to, to make that happen. And if it means playing Kyle Alexander in that role... I'm all for it. But as long as in possession, they get those bodies. So they have, they're able to create triangles and do little things in possession that are, you know, just basic fundamentals of possession that they aren't doing right now. I think that's all that matters. And I think that's what DeSantos should and has to focus on. Okay. Before we get too, too deep into the weeds here, cause we could probably talk about this for hours. I just have a couple things, a couple final notes to sort of empty out about this. One, I think David Caicedo is very obvious that, he's way more comfortable further forward on the pitch. When he's asked to play deep, like he did in that one preseason matchup where it felt like he was out of position, it felt kind of similar in this game where he just got lost because he was forced to sit too deep. So, you know, regardless, again, of what the what the numbers on the team sheet say, what the how they say they're lining up, Daber needs to be further forward in order to get the most out of him. Another thing that I think kind of wasn't spoken about at all, which was, first of all, kind of weird from the manager, and then second of all, surprising to see on the team sheet. We were told by Mark DeSantos, oh no, Alexandre is like basically same status as Gaspar, not not good to go. And then not only is he on, you know, in the team sheet, but he's in the starting lineup. So that was just curious. And then also I think it's worth noting that Alexandre likely was not at 100% in this one. So I think that, you know, whatever people out there saw from him against SKC probably isn't all that he's capable of. And so even when you mentioned the the fact that they don't have the horses for a for a two-man midfield, it might have been a one-and-a-half-man midfield in that SKC matchup because I doubt that it, the Brazilian was at 100%. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't think he was at 100% either. But even even at 100%, let's just say no, it's, it's... Point, point still applies. Yeah, point still applies. It's going to require a Herculean effort from their midfielders, which I just don't think at this stage of the game, they don't have that kind of guy. And even a guy like Kyle Alexandre, I guess he could sort of be that guy, but it's just like he would be better in a three-man midfield anyway. So it's like, why not get the most out of him instead of asking him to do, you know, it's like, why why ask a man to carry five bags when he can only, you know, you can give him two and he's fine, right? Like It doesn't really make sense for him to ask all, give him all this res- responsibility. So that's more the point that I was going with there. And I think this that just applies for all the other positions. I think you have to 
really target certain areas and get the most out of certain players right now. And I just look at the formation. I, you know, are they are they doing that? There's a lot of debate. And I think the one guy that I think we have to talk about if we're going to st- kind of go into the individuals is Lucas Cavallini. Because right now, for whatever reason, whatever the Vancouver Whitecaps are doing, they are not maximizing Lucas Cavallini. And it's something that I was kind of thinking about last night, like pretty late too. Like I was just browsing on Twitter and I, you know, I started to see some Chicharito highlights, you know, Sam's favorite player. You know, Chicharito this year has just been fantastic compared to last year. And I think it ultimately comes down to coaching because not all that much has necessarily changed. Obviously, he's in a better headspace. He's, you know, he's training well, et cetera. But he, he was working hard last year. He was getting into good areas. And it just shows the difference that setting up a system to help your striker score goals. Like, I, First of all, it just sounds ridiculous that I'm saying a phrase like that. It, it, it isn't like something that the Vancouver Whitecaps are trying to do. But just, you know, show, shows what, it, what you can do when you set up your striker to succeed. Right now, Chicharito over at LA Galaxy, he has five expected goals. All seven of his goals are from open play. Like, he has more goals from open play than the Whitecaps do have goals, period. Like, that's just mind-boggling. But all he does is run into the box, the White, you know, LA Galaxy, put in these wide crosses for him, and he's profiting. Lucas Cavallini, you watched all of his goals from Pueblo. What do they have in common? He ran from deep, he scored off crosses, and he, yes, he did have a few through balls, and he'd score that, and he's good at that when he's, you know, first of all, when his legs are able to, to, to give him enough juice to make that happen, but... You know, all that to say in his scouting report, he profited off of wide balls. And a big, for me, a big reason to consider the formation changes. At a certain point, if you're going to want to run Lucas Cavalier to the ground and, you know, prove that he's a $6 million player, at a certain point, you have to set him up to succeed. And I just think this weird role where he's dropping deep, he's only getting one or two shots a game, it just isn't working. And I think it's something that Caleb Wilkins from your site has talked about in the past. It's something that I've, you know, I've talked about in the past as well. It's something they need to fix because at this point, if you're going to play a system like a 4-4-2 that gets the most out of guys like Russell Tiber, you have to look at yourself. Why is Russell Tiber the guy you're looking to get the most out of when you have a $6 million player that just right now is not playing like one? And, that, and part of that is just not his fault. He's not put in a position to succeed right now. Yeah, well, to kind of uh, double down on on takes borrowed from from Caleb, Lucas Cavallini is incredibly talented, but at times he can also be incredibly one dimensional. And when that one dimension is not, you know, utilized to its fullest, there's there's not always a lot of bottom line there beyond it, right? And that's in addition to just running him into the ground, playing him a full ninety in every match so far. Yeah, the opportunities for those you know, one-touch chances for those crosses into the box haven't been there. I just, without without playing too much apologist, because, you know, I think that the this doesn't come as a surprise, but the, the Whitecaps aren't the same type of team they could be or can be without both Ali Adnan and Bruno Gaspar in the lineup on a regular basis. And I think when you talk about wide service into the box, those are two guys that immediately come to mind. And I think guys that will help Cava. Now, that's not an excuse to say that, you know, someone like Gutierrez, someone like Kyle, even someone like Baldy from a wide position, if you find ways to get him involved. Like, I, I, I like where... Norwinsky was a good crosser in 2017. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, we're getting to the point now where I don't think that can be brought up as much as it used to be. But 
yes, your point stands that why isn't more being done to manufacture the right kind of chances for Cava rather than giving him the ball at midfield in a Kai Kamara kind of hold-up role, which is like not just not for him. He's not suited for it at all. And you didn't you didn't spend six million dollars for his hold-up play. You spent six million dollars for his finishing. Well, at that point, if you're gonna play for your hold-up play, Theo Bear is looking really good with the ball in his hold-up play, and he's cost you a fraction of what Lucas Cavallini cost. So you could have saved your money elsewhere and got two yeah. DPS to get. Or even, Theo or even ball. like bring. Uh, well, I, I say bring Freddie back. It doesn't see given the salary figures, it didn't seem like Freddie was interested at in coming back at any price, but. Someone like Freddie, even as a striker, if you're going to use him for deep-lying hold-up play, like, that's the guy you want to go with. Yeah, and I just think, for me, it's more of an issue that they're not trying. Like, again, like yeah. we said with Jake Nowitzki as an example, you know, when's the last time he's whipped in a wide ball like that? I mean, Russell Tyber's been whipping in some fantastic balls, and coincidence or not, those are Lucas Cavallini's two best chances to score in the last five games came off of wide balls from Russell Tybert. Who would have thought Lucas Cavallini, when he has his bread and butter ball given to him, he almost scored. But I think it's just, it's, it's an issue. I mean, I guess it doesn't even come down to tactics, so to speak. I just think it, it's weird that the Whitecaps aren't trying their best to get the most out of him. That's yeah, just for you can You can do that from any shape. It's more about point of emphasis. Like, what are we focusing on in our attack? And it doesn't feel like the the emphasis is being put on whipping crosses into the box. I think maybe they've been so held up at times with trying to control possession that they haven't really bothered crossing it into the box as much. Yeah, well, I guess they're just kind of losing sight of, of what they should be doing. And it, just the more I think about it, the more it makes sense. I think of Lucas Cavallini, his goals last year. I just think of a goal against the LA Galaxy. Obviously, it was a dead rubber. But when Ali Adnan ripped in one, he just headed it home. Or I think it was Christian Gutierrez, actually. One of the two. I, there was one of the two left backs who were both playing on the same side. They whipped in a deep ball, and he scored. And it's just like, why isn't that happening? For me, it's just an issue because last year, Lucas Cavalier was top 10 in MLS in terms of expected goals. Right now, I scrolled down to the second page and I didn't see him. So he's at least below 60 right now. I don't even think he has a expected goal right now. I think Christian Dome obviously is ahead of him due to penalties and whatnot, but that's just not good. That's that's just frankly not good. And I don't think that's on Cavallini. I think that's on the players around, or not even the players, the system around him. It's just, I, it doesn't make sense to me right now. And I'm, I'm kind of at the point where it's like, if you're not going to get the most out of Lucas Cavallini, you may as well lean into a, a full transition formation where you you play a front four of Diber Caicedo, like say a, a Ryan Raposo, Christian Dahomey is your lone number nine. And and then, you know, play play another wide player like, I don't know, Cameron Habibula. Obviously they don't have very many wide players, but it's at that point where if you're not going to maximize the most out of Lucas Cavallini, Obviously, this isn't going to happen. This is pure hypothetical, but it's just to give you an idea of how ridiculous it is. You may as well just bench him and put someone else in there and, and just lean into what they're doing. And it just for me, it makes no sense. And I feel like it's something that has to be brought up because while Cavallini, again, his minutes need to be managed. I don't think that's I think that's a problem. And I think guys like Theo Bear, obviously, we want him to get more run. But even guy like to St. Ricketts and David Agba, I don't know why, you know, first of all, they don't even make the starting 18 these last two games. I don't know what's going on there, and I wish we could know. But uh, if we're going to talk about Cavallini from the other side, his actual play, fatigue aside, there needs to be more done right now to help him out. Yep, I, I don't have anything else to add on that other than other than the week of rest will probably do him good because I don't think anyone's had to do quite as much running and, and tireless effort put in as Cava so far. But 
couple final talking points from the match in terms of individuals. I guess first, pour one out for Ryan Raposo. That was it was a tough assignment. He wasn't really put in a position to succeed, to be fair. Also didn't do a heck of a lot with it and was on the hook for a couple unfortunate moments. But uh, I think it just goes to continue anyone who's been listening to the show recently, our discussion about not putting young players or really any depth pieces in positions where they're likely to have success. Once again, you're providing limited opportunity and not really putting them in an environment to to see the most out of them. And it's just... It's disappointing because now I can see Raposo being, you know, sent into the ether in terms of, you know, only only receiving five minute sub performances for the next fifteen matches based on this one twenty five minute showing. I said I hate I just hated the whole handling of the situation because it's like we mentioned with Derek Cornelius in the last episode. For whatever reason, there's these guys. They remain in the, you know, the ether. They finally get out and then they just get put into this impossible situation and it's back to square one. And it's like, first of all, I just feel for Ryan because some of the discourse around him is just so unfair. The it's, Darryl, been, it's been tough over the last couple of days. Like if I on hear Twitter. one more Daryl DK comparison, like I just, my head might explode because again, if, if anyone can make a convincing argument why Daryl DK would be what Daryl DK is had he played in a white cap shirt, I would just like to point you to, the, to, to you know, to a guy like Theo Bear who has all the potential to be a, like a guy like Daryl DK, especially if we're talking just physical qualities alone, but in terms of skills. Yet look what's happened to him. I think that gives you everything you need to know about why not drafting Daryl TK wouldn't have changed anything, so to speak. Obviously, it would have been nice to have a guy like Daryl DK break out in a white cap shirt. You earn ten million about it from him. I wouldn't complain. Obviously, if I had, you know, if you're if someone's sitting here telling me, okay, you stick with Ryan Raposo or you get Daryl the Daryl DK Orlando guy, I take the Daryl DK. I'm not gonna lie, but you have to, you know, accept reality. The white caps are not, you know, it doesn't matter if your name's Daryl DK or Ryan Raposo or at this point a young Alfonso Davies for all we know. Right now it's tough to be a young a young white caps player, unless you're Michael Baldissimo. So shout out to Michael Baldissimo for for fighting but, through. But and, even that, how long did it take for him to break it through? It took a while. It took a while. It took We're not talking, you know, some of the 17-year-olds that are breaking out. We're not talking a guy like Busio, who we just saw. Caden Clark. Only Katie 18. Cowell. You know, Baldy took well into his early 20s to to burst onto the scene the way he did. And even then last year, Mark DeSantos was very, would play him every other game, would bench him the other game. It only took till this year for him to get, you know, some proper burns, so to speak, as the lingo that people are using these days. But uh, for for Reiner Post, so it just it sucks. I think the handling of the substitution, quite honestly, it just it doesn't sit right with me. I, I really got Theo Bears with LAFC vibes last year because Reiner Poso comes on, and to your point, he didn't have his greatest game. On the other hand, he still had flashes. I think of that good run down the side. He had a few moments where he was getting into good areas. I think the formation just wasn't set up to him. Why does the one guy who fought so hard to get minutes, his first start of the year, third start of his MLS career, why is he the one yanked after 35 minutes? As a coach, if you got it wrong, say, why not a guy like Dyber Caicedo, who's played every minute up to that point? At least you rest him, you give him a bit of headspace, 
you move on next week. Why is it Ryan Raposo, the guy that gets picked on, the guy that gets yanked, the guy that has to face the consequences? Same as Theo Bear last year. And that Theo Bear one was more frustrating because he got he should have gotten an assist in the LAFC game, if you guys remember. He gets yanked, similar vibes, gets sent to the to, to an ether that to be honest, he's only really returned to like this week. Uh, just and, and he's barely returned. <laughs> barely returned from this week. So first of all, Ryan Raposo, my fingers are crossed for you right now. But like it's just it didn't make sense why is repose and if you're gonna yank him off why not wait 10 minutes till halftime why do you have to do it so publicly in front of tv and i get yes it's pro sports it it, it sucks sometimes it's it's a harsh reality but it just something didn't sit right about me watching reiner post get yanked off nearly in tears and have to go sit in the bench after getting his first start in in forever because it, what due to a multitude of factors that really weren't necessarily his fault that just really didn't sit right to me if i'm to be honest well, you know what? It's interesting. Maybe you'll maybe you'll disagree with this wholeheartedly, or or maybe you'll like it. I don't know which one. But the moment I saw that substitution happened, I thought of what I might have tried in that moment. And so I think you're right. There were there were positive flashes offensively from Raposo, but positioning wise, he ended up being very central and didn't really do a great job tracking back defensively. And so. I look at the strengths and weaknesses there and go, you know what? Someone you, you consider one of two options. And I know this is this would seem sacrilege if I if I suggested this to Mark DeSantos, he'd think I'm crazy. But you move Ryan Raposo up front, you either take off Lucas Cavallini and play Dahomey as a false nine type striker with the two running off each other, or you keep Cava on and you play Ryan Raposo as a you know false nine number ten underneath to sort of help pick up the ball from midfield and distribute. Like I think that that's if you had young players' development and kind of you know their their emotions and ways they're feeling and their confidence in mind. That's the kind of thing you'd look to do. You'd look to center a strategy, a tactic around getting the most out of a young player rather than just saying, oh, well, he's the weakest link. He's the problem. Let's let's rip him off. And let's do it, as you said, quite quite publicly. And and I mean, yeah, you're you're pro athletes and it's part of what comes with it. But it also wasn't yeah, it wasn't necessarily something that had to happen at that moment. Well it's just frustrating. And I'm gonna keep referencing the Bear and, and Reposo situations because they're so similar. It actually like scares me. Like young Canadian both played on the right wing, even though that's not necessarily their best position. Their team goes down early more due to a bunch of defensive errors versus their bad play offensively. They get yanked. So like the parallels there, first of all, are, are scary. But it's just like, yeah, like you mentioned, it, it, it's just something frustrating about him already being put in a position where he's up against it to succeed, not necessarily his best, and then get blamed. It's like it's just like one of those situations where it's like someone's like, here, take this, and then you take it. And they're like, why are you holding this? You're in trouble kind of vibes where it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like I, I took what you, you gave me and then you got me in trouble. Like, what do you want me to do? It was, it's just frustrating, I think, so to speak. And I think ultimately – it just leads so well into what we've talked about the last few weeks. But uh, enough about Ryan Raposo. Hopefully he bounces back. You know what? I know some people are, are, are wavering off the, the Ryan Raposo train. I saw some discourse like that on Twitter. I disagree. I think I still think he's got talent. I still think he can succeed. I wonder, might it be best for him to go, to a, go on a loan to a team that will play him in the sort of positions he requires to get the most out of him? I think that might be the case. But uh, 
But there's just, no there's no winger depth at the moment. So I don't know if you can do that if you're the White Caps. That's part of the problem. Yeah, so I just hope he, for his sake, he's a likable guy. You know, he's a good player. Hopefully they can find a way to, to, to make him, you know, get the most out of him. But it's just frustrating the way he was continued to be handled last year. He's continued to be handled this year. Um, I just think, yes, there's this whole argument of, oh, young players don't need to be entitled. But at the same time, if you're going to invest in young players, would it not be in your self-interest to get try and get the most out of them? But uh, enough about that. We can move to the CVs. Yeah, I'll just, I guess I'll add, there's a difference between, you know, there's a difference between coddling young players and putting them in positions to succeed or trying to do the most for them in a developmental sense. I think you can you can walk the line between those two things without going too much in either direction. It just doesn't feel like there's that balance right now. But uh, center backs, I mean, we already kind of talked about it to some degree. I guess I want to open up this discussion with a question, which is Andy Rose listed currently as week to week, which makes me think that he's not going to play against Houston. Because usually you don't slap a week to week status on a guy if he's expecting well, expected to come back for the next match. Reports aren't something I'd, I'd exactly put my, okay, my full but if, confidence in. If, right now. if we're putting some degree of trust in the reports, Andy was day to day. Now he's week to week. That seems to tell me that I don't expect him back for the Houston match. Mark DeSantos talked about the possibility of Eric Godoy being available for for Houston. Like, where do we think this goes for this last matchup? I have to think that if Eric Godoy is even close to fully fit, Mark DeSantos wants him in the lineup. Because for whatever you think of the individual players, Ranko and Derek Cornelius together do not work. So, like, I, I think it goes without saying, like, no one wants to see that again. The harsh reality that, you know, it might, might be hard for some to accept, but... uh I think it's certainly it's a, it's a problem because as many of the listeners know, we like what Derek Cornelius brings to the table. I want to see more of him. You know, I think his handling has been, you know, quite all over the map at times and un, 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 unexplainable, I guess, so to say. Ranko Veselinovic, I like what he brings to the table as a player. I think he's got all the tools. He's the kind of guy where you're still, you're still working on that toolbox, so to speak, still working on decision-making, et cetera. But, uh, for whatever reason, I, and I don't make it doesn't make sense because a guy like Derek Cornelius, he he's been a leader in the past. I, I think we mentioned it on the live show. Whenever he puts on the Canada shirt, I don't know if it's I think it's because it's it's the kind of the theory we mentioned. At least there, he gets to be the guy. He he shows up there and John Herman or what Mauro Biello when he was with the U23s is Derek. You're our guy. Take care of business back there. Do the thing. And then for whatever reason, he's you know even if he's got a guy like Stephen Vittoria who's 35 or 33 alongside him and has played at almost every level, he's able to lead him along. But with the Whitecaps, I don't know if it's a lack of confidence, a fear of failure, fear of making mistakes. He just doesn't show that same confidence. And a guy like Rekon Veselinovic, he just, the way he plays, he, he's a number two. And that's not an insult or saying, oh, he can't be a number one. It's just the way he plays, he's a number two. And there's nothing wrong. When I say number one and number two, it's more stylistically. It's nothing to do with talent. It's a guy like Eric Godoy, a guy like Andy Rose, they're number ones, the way they play. They talk a lot. They move the line around. They push the line forward. They mush it back. They're they're number ones. A guy like Ranko Veselinovic, a guy who plays the ball a lot, a kind of guy who's skilled, but he kind of needs to be directed. At this stage of his career, he's a number two. Maybe he develops into a number one. It's early. A guy like Derek Cornelius, though, he can kind of be in between the number one, number two. When he wants to, we see a number one, but sometimes – 
he can be a number two. And the problem is on Sunday, the Whitecaps, him, Cornelius and Ranko Veselinovic both played like number twos and it cost them. Just the line was too deep. You know, correct me if you've heard or stop me if you've heard this before from a Whitecaps game. The line was too deep. They were mixing up assignments. They were getting beat in the air. They were getting, you know, just getting played through. And it just didn't work. And it was a bit of a worry because it's like, what do you do now? All of a sudden, I think, I think I've come to the point where if you're the Whitecaps, you always have to have one of Eric of Eric Godoy and Andy Rose on the field with one of Ranko Veselinovic or Derek Cornelius until until they prove that they can be number one, so to speak, in this discussion. But uh just what we saw on Sunday was too much of the old white caps. And I think that's every every reason enough to 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 consider okay, Andy Rose and Eric Godoy have to be on the pitch if possible, because if not, it's going to be a work in process. And it's, heck, DeSantos is the kind of guy, he's usually pretty protective of his players. And he, even he admitted it when you, Sam, asked him about it, saying Derek Cornelius and Ranko Veselinovic need to work on their communication. They need to work on their line together because it's starting to be an issue for them. Yeah, you, you outlined that very well. And I guess just to il- illustrate the point about the number one versus number two center backs, I think of someone I watch a lot of, which is Leicester City right now in the Premier League. And Johnny Evans, you know, he's 33. If you look at Soyuncu or Fafana, who are in there as the number two most of the time, like both those guys are at this point far more physically gifted than someone like Johnny Evans. But Evans plays that role of communicating with the entire line, doing a lot of the leadership things, even if, you know, maybe he's not as fleet of foot as he was 10 years ago and, you know, isn't going to keep up with the speediest players in the Premier League. He he plays that number one role where he's kind of the focal point defensively. So I think that kind of illustrates that, yeah, even, you know, Andy Rose, make what you want about his, you know, in air quotes, abilities as a center back. He plays that role of controlling things in the back line. And so far this year has done a really nice job. And so I, I like your plan in terms of it has to be, you know, you look at the depth chart and you put, I think you kind of put Eric Godoy, Andy Rose in the one spot and Derek and Ranko in the other. And it's just a matter of who you're favoring, who's fit that week to choose where that other spot is. I don't know though. What would you think about just, uh, we're, you know, we can't, can't help but dive into this. What would you think about an Eric Godoy, Andy Rose center back pairing? How, how would you feel about that? At this point, I'd try it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be opposed to it because I think it would be interesting to see what the results would be. Two good center backs put together, but especially uh, uh, Ali Adnan, Eric Godoy, Andy Rose, Bruno Gaspar. I feel like I could get behind pieces. That. You'd get some good hype from Rose and Godoy, who have yeah. scored a fair share of goals. You'd get the fullbacks. You'd get a good leadership because you know it's and even just what I like about having Andy Rose on the field is. It's worth noting in this Whitecaps game against SKC, no one over the age of 30 saw the field. The oldest player to see the field was 28. I think even of the subs, obviously, Theo Bears 21, Cameron Habibula 17, Javane Brown's 22. Um, I, I'm missing two more. Michael Baldissimo's 20 and uh, Eric Godoy's 26. Of the starters, Lucas Cavalier was the lone old fellow at 28. Everyone else was 26 and younger. At least with a guy like Andy Rose, who's 31, 32, it gives you a starter who is, you know, a veteran, a leader, which sometimes, you know, is you don't want to go full because it's been proven that it's not necessary. Like, oh, you need a leader on the team. 
But, you know, in terms of a, a guy like Andy Rose is never a bad guy to have on the field. He's well-liked in the team. You know he's a well-liked guy when he's the kind of guy that everyone likes. You, 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 ask, you could ask anyone in the roster, be like, oh, we, we appreciate what Andy Rose can bring to the table. He's a good leader. Okay, you, you like what he brings in the field. I, that potential back four right now, if we're going to go off of based off what we've seen in games, I think that is absolutely your first your first pair choice. Obviously, I like the ideas of, you know, if you're going to get creative, I like the idea of, you know, I, I, obviously I like Derek Cornelius and Eric Godoy together in terms of skill. I like the combo of, heck, and Andy Rose. Derek Cornelius had a pretty good game or two last year, if I'm not mistaken. Ranko Veselinovic and Andy Rose have had some good games together. Ranko and Eric Godoy, heck, they've had some good games Basically, together. any combination other than Derek Cornelius and Ranko Veselinovic together. That just seems like the one you can't do right now. And you know what? And to preface it, I think that this, I'm not writing off, obviously, as I mentioned, Derek Cornelius and Ranko Veselinovic. I like both, you know, I, obviously, I really like what Derek Cornelius can bring to the table. I like what Ranko Veselinovic can bring to the table. But uh, I just think until they show that, okay, they're a number one. Like, I don't know if, if in Ranko's case, it's just the fact that he's still working on his English. He's not confident. I don't know what it is in Derek Cornelius's case. But until they, they show that, okay, we can be that number one, I'm going to have to unfortunately leave it to that. Because I think for it right now, you cannot not have Andy Rose or Eric Godoy on the pitch, at least one of them. And I think even if you're going to look at the other, you know, if Yasser Kamiri's back in the fold, that doesn't change. For me, he's a number two. But uh, until then, yeah, I, I think Andy Rose and Eric Godoy have to be one of your two, if not both guys at CB right now. Yeah, I don't, I don't get the sense that Yasser is coming back. But that's, well, I'm just, if we're it's a throw to- topic for another day. I'm just going to throw him in and say he's a number two assessment-wise. Just saying, out of the other two guys, if we're going to talk youngsters, Mateo Campagna is showing some good potential of a number one. and Fat- certainly Fashionary is a number well. one when the time comes. So the Whitecaps have some interesting names coming down. And, you know, guys like Ranko Veselovic and Derek Cornelius, they're competition could get up if, if Campania and Facinari continue to progress as they have. Obviously, very early days for them, but just putting that out there. Hey, third sub listeners, Sam here, just taking a quick break from the show to let you know about our friends at Macy's Sports. Obviously, been sponsoring the show recently. We just gave away a Whitecaps wave kit, and now Macy's is back with another fire giveaway, if I do say so myself. But Alex, um, over to you. What is Macy's giving away and how can you get involved? Well, if you're like me and your ball bag has been a little busted after the winter season, you know, if you're like me, you don't hit the target all too often. You need some new balls. Well, this is the place to go. Thanks to Macy's Sports. They're giving away a 2020 MLS match ball. If I'm going to be honest with you, one of the nicer match balls MLS has made in recent years. So if you want to win an official match ball for you to play with, yourself your friends or other people that you you play with heck for your rec league if you want to you know shout out to golden hour fc if you play in miller's division league three and you need a new ball enter the giveaway there very easy to to requirements not very complicated you just have to live in vancouver and follow our instructions and you could win a match ball but otherwise if you happen to go to shopping to macy's because you can go obviously at any time you shout out the third sub podcast you will get 15 percent off your order so if you need a new batch ball and you don't want to wait for the giveaway you can also buy those and many other soccer accessories 
located near the near the Lionsgate Bridge in West Vancouver, Macy Sports. Shout out to them. Yeah, just to clarify, anywhere in Metro Vancouver is just fine. You just have to be able to get in touch with us to receive the prize if you do happen to be the winner. And uh, yeah, it's a genuine match ball. None of this, none of this replica stuff. So you know, only the highest quality for for high quality soccer players. So thanks again to Macy's Sports. Uh, it's been really fun to work with them so far. And uh, not only looking forward to this contest, but plenty more stuff we're going to do together in the future. Back to the show. All right, rap, rapid fire style now. Third sub of the match. We had we had four wow. late substitutions in this one. Uh, so, but. In terms of that, that it, you know, that substitution moment where the two guys came on, which were, in essence, I guess they are the second and third subs of the match. Um, that is Javane Brown and Cameron Habibula. Both those two guys in particular, I thought maybe Javane Brown as much as anyone. Like I hesitate to say he was almost a man of the match performer when he came on. It was one of the br- the brightest showings in an otherwise very dim match. Uh, there's a there's a big groundswell movement right now, especially on the the 86 Forever message boards, to put Javane Brown above Jake Nerwinski on the depth chart already. So uh, yeah, Alex is making a face. I'm interested to hear not only what you had to to say about Javane Brown, but also thoughts on yeah that potential. Well, first of all, four players. That's a lot of superlatives. I'm gonna have to work my brain overtime to make that work, but. Uh... You know what? I'm I I kind of agree. Obviously, it's one game, and it's like limited you know, sample size. And he obviously got it put into a position where there's not much pressure on him. But I liked what Javane Brown had to provide. And obviously, I, I'm never going to be a fan of the fact that he's eating up an international spot. Like for me, that's just so absurd. Especially for, when you were in control of that in the Super Draft, you didn't have to put yourself in that position. And like heck, even just like I don't know what if MLS wants to continue with their Super Draft. One way to incentivize teams not to pass would be to make rules that saying that if you draft a kid, he's not going to be eating up an international spot. Like maybe that's just me. The fact that they were playing in an American college should swipe them of that, but that's a whole other story. But I don't, I don't think can they can they mark someone as a non-international if they don't have a green card or some kind of exemption? Well, I just, I don't know. It just seems so I guess weird. they could. I guess they could just kind of paper mark, him, paper mark him as a domestic, even if he's not technically a domestic. I, I don't know. The, I, I don't work in the league office, but I get your point. My point is it's just it's so strange that you're drafting a kid out of college and he's counted as, as an international. And, you, and it's just, it's the whole, inter, the international system, like spot thing is a joke when you re- realize teams, like guys, you see guys on teams in Atlanta literally play a year and have their green cards and then you got guys in the white like you know the white caps guys like right over there for four years five years and they, they weren't even close to the green card like it's just yeah it's a whole complicated process so i won't really dive into it just even quickly while my brain just brought this up does this year and a half they've played away in the states potentially accelerate the green cards for a few players on this team just food for thought. Just, just I have thought. no idea, but if I'm if I'm basing this on everything I know about MLS rules, probably not. Somehow will, it will have made it worse. Yeah, but that's just certainly a thought. But yeah, Javane Brown. Before I go too much in the weeds, I thought he looked fantastic. I want to see more of him. I think Jake Norwinski. Again, I, I, I I'm not gonna have a short memory. I remember what guys did before. I remember what Jake Norwinski did last year. He was yeah. unsung hero for a reason. He was my borderline MVP for a reason. I think he was my, him or Dahomey were my MVPs. Adnan obviously won because he has 
a significant following on social media, but uh, I'm not going to forget that. But I just would say, Jake, take notice. And I think that's fine. The competition's a good thing. And if Javane Brown is genuinely going to be better than Jake Nowinski, you have to float out the idea of trading a guy like Jake Nowinski just because he's one of the only guys on this roster that as a domestic, as a former draft pick, as a guy that's relatively cheap. Obviously, he's a bit expensive compared to what he was making before, but still relatively cheap. If he falls down the pecking order, you have to consider trading him. But uh, that's kind of what I have to say before we dive into superlatives. Yeah, that's uh, that that covers it pretty well. And I guess for I'll, I'll go to, I'll go ahead with the superlatives for Javane. I think it's it's smashed because he smashed it right through the glass ceiling of my expectations. I think the bar was set pretty low. I didn't, you know, I, David Egbo. If anyone was the guy where the expectation level out of the super draft was a little bit higher. We haven't seen him yet, but uh, it was, he was playing in at center back in that one preseason game. It was kind of a slot fest. He didn't really learn much. So it was hard to tell what to expect going in, but I I was really encouraged. And with that quasi center back background, it seems like you're not going to have to worry about him too, too much defensively. You know, sometimes these fullbacks come into the league and they're really, their wingers being asked to play in a defensive role and they're not ready for it. I don't get that feeling with Javane at all, which is which is kind of nice for a Whitecaps team that can get exposed in those spaces at times. So yeah, Javane smashed it. Uh, Cam, I'm going to go with miscast because I think that maybe there's an argument to, ha- to have in terms of could Ryan Raposo and Cameron Habibula's roles have been reversed? I think might, that's very fair. Might you have tried Cam in a starting role and Ryan Raposo in relief off the bench? As a number 10, you might have to add. Yeah, it is easy to go back in hindsight and say this, right? So I'm, I'm not trying to give myself credit for some brilliant idea, but that's just, that's the thing that comes to mind when I when I think of Cam. The, the only thing I would say is that two little things from Cam's game he does get knocked off the ball a bit easily at times. It's kind of the the trials of being a 17-year-old in MLS. And then kind of right in toe with that, just looking for calls from officials and like not really... He needs to know to either... Either you have to go down like you've been fouled or you have to try to play on like nothing happened. And I felt like a couple times Cam was sort of caught somewhere in between where he was looking for the foul call but he kind of stopped the play and he didn't dive or he didn't fall over. He just kind of put his hands up in the air and was like, Hey, what happened? That was a foul. So he's, you know, that's just a factor of getting used to the league, but I definitely like a lot of the little things he has to offer. And it, it feels like a relatively unique skill set. Like I'm not sure anyone else on the white caps plays exactly the same as cam, which is, which is exciting. Theo bear Phoenix rising from the ashes he was gone for a long time. I don't think I've been genuinely so happy to see someone pop up in a sub performance as long as I've been covering this team. It just felt cathartic to to see him out in the pitch, even if it was a limited role. I hope this is a building block to kind of get back on the on the arc he was back in 2019. I don't know if that's going to happen, but 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 at least I'm somewhat hopeful. Lots to dive into there. I'm going to go roll through this quickly. Um, uh, I haven't done Eric Godoy yet, but I guess I'll save it for after you're done. I, I guess so. We're going through this a bit sporadically, but in true Whitecaps fashion, why do things 
the boring way we can have fun with it. So we'll go Javane Brown. I'm going to go intrigued because I, I was not expecting much. It was kind of like you see Javane Brown. You're like, okay, cool. You're like, okay, actually, I can, I can kind of dig this. I, I kind of like what I'm seeing. Okay, I, I want more. It's like, I don't want to say... We use the superlative more a lot, just usually because the, the guys they bring on, you always want more of them. But with Javain Brown, it was more an intrigue because it was just like, uh, there wasn't much, I, I didn't have much there in terms of expectations. So I was like, okay, I can dig this. Elsewhere, Cameron Habibula, Ryan Raposa. Yeah, it was strange that Cameron Habibula played the 10, Ryan Raposa played the wing, considering Ryan Raposa was a 10 and Cameron Habibula is a wing. But I don't make the decisions around here, so maybe not my not my place to comment on that. Apparently, so for Cameron Habibula, I would just say, you know what? I think he, he, job he did the job. I think consider all things considered, playing as a number ten in MLS, he had a few chances. I think there's a lot more to come. I think it might be prudent just to start him out as a wide player, just because even if you do see him as a ten long term. It's not easy to plug a 17-year-old kid into the middle of the park, especially if they're not physically capable, just due to the fact that most MLS teams employ bruisers down the middle of the field, and it, it takes a true physical specimen like a Michael Baldissimo or a Theo Bear to handle that sort of physical contact. But uh, I think despite that, credit to Cameron Ambibula, I think it shows his talent that he did a job regardless, but I think it might be he showed so much in that uh, – out on in wide areas and as a winger heck even when he was playing as the number 10 i think you want to see more of him there and then theo bear i was just you know ecstatic just my 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 eyes popped out of my head when i saw him come out the field and you know what credit to theo bear he did a job as well if we're going to talk about a guy who did a job in 10 minutes on the field he somehow had a key pass and it's worth noting i say this the most key passes on the white caps yesterday were two. And those are dudes who were playing the full 90 minutes that Theo bear got a key pass in 10 minutes. He created a chance. He won an aerial. He did think he, he was holding up the ball. He did things that you want to see from a number nine. It, it just makes you wonder why haven't we seen him sooner Now hop on Eric Godoy, just, you know, welcome. Like finally, where were you? Like, you know, it was, it was missing. If it could be another superlative, like you boy or missed as in like, where were you the last few, you know, few months, Obviously, he didn't show much, but it was just nice to see him on the field. He made a few nice passes, looked like Eric Godoy. Hopefully, his muscles can uh, can start to feel good soon because uh, the Whitecaps could use him. Yeah, my word for Eric is relieved, at least somewhat. Not fully relieved because I'm going to be far more relieved when I see him play five, six, seven matches in a row without any injury concerns. But since that day, back at training where he mysteriously disappeared, Load management, never baby. to be seen again, um, we haven't seen a lot from him. So the fact that potentially the Whitecaps' most important players at times over the last couple of years is back nearing full fitness is fills me with you know, at least a, a somewhat small sense of relief. So, so that's nice. Until it got taken away from you in typical Vancouver fashion. It can, uh, yeah, this kind of thing can only be, can only be loaned out. It can't be fleeting. bought, right? Yeah. <laughs> fleeting. I think on that note, it's time to talk some money, money, money. Well, yes. I am, I am so, so happy as we dive into our stock reviews that I passed on five of my six actions last week because yeah, I, ha I had a sense. I said in the preview podcast, I've got a bad feeling about this. It could be ugly and it indeed was ugly. So thank goodness I didn't put too many eggs in too many baskets. Oh, I, I knew that was coming too. I just said, I'm a fun guy. It's the stock market. If you don't, if you don't go big, you may as well just go home. And I went big and you know what? I'm looking at my stocks. You did all right. 
we, I, bo- we there, both there, did. We both did all right. Like it, we, the damage could have been far worse. There was a few worse. where I'm like, interesting, but it could have been worse. Could have been worse. Okay, well, I guess yeah. Let's let's start. We'll review. We'll review how your stocks performed. Oh, we're going uh, me first today. Interesting. We're gonna switch it up. We're gonna switch it up. So first offer, Alex, one share in defensive set pieces. That's actually a good one, if I'm not mistaken. Because there was a penalty, which doesn't really count in my eyes. Two goals from open play. I don't know. I'd say hold. Yeah, it's it's a hold. I don't actually. There's there's no there was no obvious frailty in defensive set pieces. And yeah, I don't. I'm not counting the the penalty against you somehow. Um, one share in Christian Gutierrez. Uh-huh. Ooh, I think that's what is that is that a very cautious hold? Or, I mean, or did he or did he do enough to to earn you a, a drop spot? I don't know because. A guy like Gutierrez didn't really stand out to me. Keep in mind, I have one share in this as well. So whatever happens here happens for both of us. But it's just like, if I had Jake Nowinski, I'd take the minus one. I think Christian Gutierrez, for whatever reason, didn't stand out to me. And as a fullback, for me, that's a good thing. I think usually if you don't show up... Especially in a match where you're getting blown out. Yeah, when you're getting torched, when your team's getting eaten up alive defensively. Most of the, the SKC profit was coming down the other side where Gutierrez wasn't. I think that, you know, that has to be a credit to him. So I don't think he necessarily blew the bar, you know, the doors off the barn, but I, I could make a justification to yeah. be like why that was a hold. I think hold holds fair enough there. We'll agree to that. Two shares in Kyle Alchandre. I'm going to say that's a hold. I think, you know, we're going to continue to see more. I, I said last week, he's on the precipice of sort of taking that step. This SKC match wasn't the right opportunity to take a step, but I still feel that way. Two shares of Michael Baldissimo. This is also a stock that I have. I mean, I don't know. It's I don't feel like you can give a boost in this match, just given how poorly it went all around, but I feel like this is on the positive side of a hold, if that makes sense. He's so close to me because, I mean, he came in at 2-0. They only allowed one more goal. They looked a lot better. You know, yeah. he made some good. He had some good counting numbers. He looked. I, I good, don't think anyone's share prices loss, should be going up in this match. In a to loss, be no. In a loss, no. But I'd say it's a lot. Had they maybe won the game, so to yeah. speak, after he came in, and not even win it in the score, but say after yeah. he came on, they win one nil that that sixty minutes. Then fair enough, yeah. But I'll, I'll take a hold on that. But I'd say it's close. It was. It was definitely close. Okay, so continuing, two shares in, as I have listed on the notes, Mad Max. Um, yeah, I think that I think that one's a hold as well. He, if he wasn't in that, it would have been an eight nil. So I'm I'm comf- I'm definitely not taking a minus one on that one. I'm hold. I'm taking yeah. a hold. No, certainly not at fault for the. You can't point to the three goals against and somehow pin those on Max. So once we're moving on, uh, you've got such a diverse portfolio. So it takes a while to get through here. One share in Cameron Habibula. It's it's a hold, but I'm but I'm excited. I think that's you know we're we're both in on the ground floor in terms of that investment, and I'm 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 bullish about the the possibilities. Yeah, I mean, not much to say. I guess we already talked. If we're about if it, we're really. going at the ground, it would it would be a raise, but he hasn't done enough to get a raise in my yeah. eyes, so I'll take the hold. But this okay, is this this is the, the scare. This is the scary one for Alex. Two shares in Vancouver Whitecaps open play stock and that's in terms of like offense and creation if i'm i'm correct i mean open play either way would be bad for the white caps in this matchup but yeah i think that's a drop unfortunately for you 
I bought, I mean, I was accepted to to have that, you know, I was, I was cognizant of that reality. I'm annoyed they couldn't even score one open play goal in, in garbage time to like, at least like, you know, make things look a lot yeah. better. But no, that's, that's an unfortunate minus two. I invested two shares in there. It's kind of like, you know, buy, you're buying low and then you're just kind of hoping you, you catch it at the right time. Clearly that wasn't this SKC game. I do harbor hope against Houston because Houston's a strange team, but, uh, I'll hold the minus two on that one, as unfortunate as it is. Okay, and then rounding things out, um, these are another two guys that ooh, they're they're on the precipice here of of not being great investments, but we're gonna we're gonna evaluate it. One share in Ryan Raposo. I'm I'm willing to give the hold there because I feel like it was a bit interesting. I was it, gonna take a minus one for that. I feel like it was a bit unfair. Now, yeah, but that being said, looking at the last stock, one Derek Cornelius. I think that just based on the the crisis of confidence in the market, that has to be a minus one. I get, if Ryan Raposo, you're somehow going to hold, I'll take the minus one on Derek Cornelius, if I'm being honest. So that leaves me a nice zero for next week. So my stocks don't change, guys. You you, you see what you get. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. I'm just willing to give based on the based on the bad situation and based on the fact that I don't think the expectation should have been set that incredibly high. I feel like Raposo deserves another shot some point down the road. Will he get one? I don't know. I guess that goes nicely into your stocks where this is going to be interesting. Three Christian Dahomey. Um, a hold, I guess. I, it it's, it's kind of on the it's on the meh side of a hold, but it's, he didn't was, do enough to lose. To lose, I don't. He was, he was very net negative. It was very Dahomey. I think Dahomey is a safe stock because he never has bad games. But you know, when he doesn't have good games, it hurts obviously. But yeah. he never has a bad game, so that's lucky for you and your stock. Michael Baldissimo, obviously, that's a hold. So you you dodged a bullet there because those are your triple investments. You got three in Bruno Gaspar, which obviously he picked up an injury. That's a unfortunate to, hold. To be honest, that's actually perfect for me. The that fact that he didn't play perfect. in this match. <laughs> yeah, because that could have gone very, you know, very badly, very quickly. So, darn you! You got two in Dyberg Caicedo. I mean, I suppose a hold. Okay, I, I'm gonna put it. Th- I'm gonna put it this way. Here's my promise to you: if we have another match like this where we go, I guess a hold for Dyberg Caicedo. The next time he delivers a kind of, you know, subpar performance, I'm going to take the hit for it. Because they've accumulated now to the point where I think we're on the precipice of a drop. Yeah. I, so I next, that... next time we're evaluating Caicedo like this, I'm going to take the minus two. And then just going through two Cameron Abibula, not much there. One Gutierrez. And then one, I think you might have to take a minus one on this one, is attacking set pieces, which coincidentally, ever since you've invested in this, they've dried up. So maybe it's in your best interest to sell. But uh, I think that's a minus one, leaving you with the measly two actions, which of as a, as a completely neutral party, I advise you to use one of them on getting rid of that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to eliminate my uh, my one set piece stock, and then I'm going to pass on the rest. I'm 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 pretty happy with where I've got my stocks right now, other than that set piece. And yeah, we're just we're gonna go forward into Houston, and then we can we can reevaluate a bit during the break. Yeah, I think yeah. Usually we'll we'll wait a few days to sit on it, but again, I have no choice in terms of actions, and Sam does certainly. You know he's in a good spot. I'm I'm confident in my investments. I think I've put my money in the right places. I've certainly, you know, there's a few risks I had to make because it's you know I I'm I think say 
what happened against SKC. Well, if the Whitecaps save, they were to snatch a one nil against Houston. Like, I think I could get some good money. So I'm just banking on them finding that result. I think it's unfortunate these back-to-back losses of kind of, you know, so, so to speak, and just putting us in a bad position, say in the, in the stock market, but, uh, I'm confident where I am. I've got a few safe shares, but I'm, I have a few that one Whitecaps win could be swimming in the in the dough like Scrooge McDuck style. <laughs> yeah, we'll just have to see where that goes. Um, Alex, before we wrap up the show, a couple final notes in terms of Canadian soccer news, as well as a former Whitecap finally getting an opportunity, albeit a limited one. It's not nothing's guaranteed yet, but uh, but yeah, former fullback for the Whitecaps who's getting a taste of the CPL here. Shout out to George McCumbawa, one of the, you know, show favorites, so to speak. Always was a big fan of what he could provide. Never got a shot. Well, he's getting his shot finally five months, well, six months after he got released, five months after the turn of the new year. He finally signed, well, not signed, is trialing with Valor, who started their preseason camp as the day of recording. Um, you know, they, as the, the, the preparations for a CPL season continue george mokumbo is gonna trial with them reading between the lines i imagine he signs they need a right back if i'm not mistaken and a right winger he's multi he's versatile he's canadian so he doesn't count as an international he's still only 21 like it would have to take a grave disaster for him not to sign i think it's more of at early on you know bring him in hungry so to speak no need no need to guarantee money to players yet when you don't know when the season's gonna start etc etc it's just good news to see because I think he could tear up the CPL in the right circumstances. Yeah, he's more than than CPL quality, I feel like. And obviously the you know, the time away from the game's not ideal, but obviously he'll have been doing everything in his power to stay in, in game shape and be ready to go for this kind of opportunity. So it'd be exciting to have another former white cap, you know, honing their trade in the in the CPL. Just a just another guy to watch this year and uh yeah, excited not only for for George, but also as we're seeing CPL training camps start to ramp up, and you know, things aren't official yet for a CPL season, but the but the rumors continue to build and swell, and it does like seem that there's going to be something that gets off the ground here early on in the summer, which is exciting. That's it. I think it, there's a lot of good things to come after a bit of a dark period for the CPL. And I think that has to be good news. They just need to get on the floor. They need to get running because even last year when they're playing games, good things are happening. But uh, it's just that that those long periods between games it just sucks that since November, I think it was November 1st, 2019, they've only in the, in the nearly two years, they've played 10 games, really. And there's some teams that have played six times. That's not good enough. Obviously not the fault of the league. Money has been tight. It's not been easy to be a, a money-making enterprise in, in a time like this, especially a new up-and-coming one. So hopefully they can get the ground running so we can see more guys like George Mukumboa get the shots they deserve. Guys on the white caps who need shots go on loan and just give more opportunities to young Canadian guys because we're missing that right now. We need, uh, you know, I'm itching for another Mo Farsi, another, you know, uh, another Tristan Borges right now, another young Canadian guy getting a shot of Joel Waterman. So uh, can't wait till that's up and running once again. Well, you know, Canadians might be missing their opportunities a bit domestically right now, but Canadians definitely not missing out on their opportunities on the international stage. We talked about in the live pregame show, you talked about a little bit in the last podcast, some stuff going on in Europe over the last week, some impressive debuts, some some impressive goals, 
one little one kind of you know unfortunate unfortunate result, but overall a, a pretty solid week for for Canada and and its players internationally. Well, I'll try not to go too long because I could talk about this for hours. So I'll, I'll try to make this a quick segment, obviously. But uh, shout out to Lille. They didn't do their greatest. Saint Etienne, weird team historically. You know, if you talk to people in France, Saint-Étienne's actually historically probably the biggest, if not one of the biggest clubs, just due to history. But in the last few years, they haven't been good. But uh, as Lille learned, you never can take them lightly. Lille drawed them at home. PSG wins. But with Lille still being ahead by one point, as long as they match Paris's result this weekend, Paris are playing, oh boy, I'm, I don't know how I've forgotten this. I might have to quickly bring it up. But Lille play Angers, which always are... Um, you know, a bit of a, a weird team, but it's a team they should beat. Paris play Brest, which are a tiny team, but also a team that can punch above their way. All Lille have to do is match Paris's results. So if Paris loses, Lille wins the title because they can lose and win the title. If Paris draws, Lille, all they need to do is draw or win. And if Paris wins, they need to win to win the title. So it's in their hands. It's their own fate. They're not depending on, you know, if this happens and then, you know, you, you drink this on this day and you put this on, there's no, none of that mathematics scenarios where you're just, you know, hoping a prayer it's in Lille's hands, Jonathan, David, he's the man for an occasion. I wouldn't put it past him scoring a goal against Angers this weekend away from home to make himself a Lille hero, a Canadian hero, but otherwise, you know, we're going to go through the list quickly here. Shout out to Jesse Fleming. Unfortunate for her in Chelsea. Just a tough final, really. They gave up a tough borderline own goal to start the game. And then from there, Barcelona cruised. I think that's what we see in most finals. It's cagey until that first goal. So it had to hurt for Chelsea to, to concede a really just tough goal that they tried to clear it, hit a player, went in. Wasn't nice. But uh, Barca were full, you know, full credit for their victory. They were good. Fleming didn't come off the bench, obviously, 4-0. Chelsea decided to give a few other players minutes. But overall, a good first year professionally for Jesse Fleming. Um, she played 17 times, I think, mostly off of the bench. But I'm excited for what's to come there. I just have to say those those Barca kits were amazing in that match. Oh, that was phenomenal. they were they were all the rage on Twitter. So I I, enjoy, I enjoyed that. Obviously, yeah, a little disappointing for for Fleming, even though she wasn't involved. But uh, I think it's only you know just a building block season for her. She's going to continue to hopefully grow her role over there and and get more involved and maybe pick up one of these in the future. Yeah, because in my opinion, she's Canada's most important player right now on the women's national team. I think. Players like Sinclair, you know what you're getting. She's obviously when when healthy, a star, Kadisha Buchanan, players like that, you know what you're getting. But, I, you know, someone like Jesse Fleming, she might be the most important player. So it's good that she's doing this. It's good that she's progressing. Otherwise, obviously, shout out. We mentioned on the live show, Atiba Hutchinson, Kyle Laren, Machines, fantastic season. Laren finishes second in goal scoring in the Turkish Super League. Atiba Hutchinson at 38 had one of his best seasons because that's how he does things you know four goals eight assists covering every blade of ground played over three thousand minutes just phenomenon and you know obviously Hutchinson probably isn't going anywhere but Laren could be going to a big club next year or stick and fight for Champions League or in the Champions League with Besiktas either way nice to see shout out to them and then the interesting ones I know Sam you watched some Premier League but did you happen to catch uh, you know Daniel Jebison's or Theo Corbinu's Premier League first start for Jebison and then for debut for Corbinu by any chance? I, I catch them both on on highlights or on Twitter. I did not see either of them live. I'm 
I'm more of a one match at a time type guy. So I know Alex is Alex is the guy you know with octopus hands and he's got eight screens going at the same time. I have a difficult difficult enough time focusing on one thing. So yeah, I was I was kind of hyper focused on the certain matches I'd I'd kind of earmarked for the weekend. But no, looking through the highlights, looking through the buzz on Twitter, the Corbianu goal in the in the under twenty threes as well as his debut. Um, he just continues to to grow and improve at, at what feels like a rapid rate. And then, uh, yeah, Jemison, I don't know a heck of a lot about because I'm not as deep in the weeds as you are. But that was cer- certainly burst on burst onto the scene there. It, it felt like everything was happening there with young Canadians for a while. Yeah, well, we'll start with Corbinu because obviously he made his debut for Canada last month. You know, Nuno was driving a fair few Canada Canadians up the wall, and heck, even Wolves fans, because he's been tearing up the academy Corbinu has, but Nuno just hadn't played Wolves. Almost ironically, their record when Corbinu was on the bench and didn't play was horrific. He finally played him. Wolves haven't been good this year. Yeah, Wolves haven't been the same. Obviously, it doesn't help when your star striker fractures his skull, so you kind of have to feel for them in that sense, but... uh Corbinu, obviously tearing it up at the U23 level, is ready for a Premier League debut, gets it in 10 minutes on the field, gets a key pass, gets across, has a shot. Just everywhere this kid debut, he, he just looks good. Turned 19 today, so happy birthday to him. Shout out to him. If you're Wolves next year, hopefully you give him a good run in the first team because he's ready. He's a cheap alternative. He's not, you know, he's not Portuguese, but he won't cost you 30 million. So they've got every reason to to want to give him minutes next year. And then just today, the day after he makes his debut, humble, you know, he goes and plays for the U23s and their promotion playoff. Cause I think they're in Premier League two, second division. So they had a chance to go up. They play Palace. They go down two goals. Corbino just steps up on his birthday, scores a 25-year-old post and in screamer. Or I, I mix I mix that up. 25 yard, not a 25 year old. 25 yard, posting in screamer. Five minutes later, scores the most casual, just side netting. Like ta- I don't even know how to describe it. Fantastic goal. Two worldies in five minutes. Gets a knock. Gets taken off. They lose. So obviously, I think that tells you everything you need to know about him being ready for the first team next year. Shout out for Corbinu. If he's not in Canada's squad next month for June, and again, I'll have my squad discussions and all that, and Sam will have a few of as well. We'll do some research for next week because obviously the Whitecaps have a bye week. I think that'll be perfect for us to go into some Canadian men's and women's content ahead of the summer. But uh, shout out to Corbino. I think he'll be there next month. And then quickly on Daniel Jebison, 17-year-old striker. He became the first, I think it was the youngest Premier League striker to make his debut and score. on the same day because obviously he made his debut the week before, but it was his first start seven minutes inside his debut against Everton, a good team. He scores fantastic goal. He's six, three. His dad used to be a basketball player. He's got good genes. He's born in Toronto. So he's a Canadian. He's Canadian eligible. Canada dropped the boat a bit on him at first. He, he, he was called up to England's U 18s earlier this year, but it's worth noting that Canada hasn't had any sort of youth games in the last two years due to the pandemic. If you're Canada, Instead of giving a spot, let's say last month we're looking at their squad, they gave a spot to Jaden Nelson in the squad he didn't play. I think if you can convince Daniel Jebison to come, cap tie him, play at 17 years of age, the way he plays as a striker, big things are coming. So just shout out to him. It's been fantastic to see his rise. And I think big things are coming for him and many other Canadians this year. And it's just say, what a year for, for Canadian men and women on the international stage. Can't wait to see them all represent their countries, but boy, did they ever show up at the club level. 
Yeah, it's not just a goal; it's a it's a match winning goal as well, which is which is wild to say. I guess the only other thing I'll throw out because I can't can't protest to know a a huge amount about the player, but I have to feel like Sheffield going down is actually probably a good thing for him and will open up more opportunities than them staying in the Premier League. So if he's if he's going to be there for a for a good amount of time, then that that actually seems like a a decent turn of fortune for the youngster. That's it. I think playing in the Championship will be good opportunity. Earlier this year, he's playing in National League South, sixth division. So his rise has been quick. He's obviously capable of playing at a Premier League level to a certain extent, but there's nothing wrong with going into the championship. Sheffield have a, you know, they'll, they'll probably have some reinforcements, expect to contend for promotion next year. Having him lead the line could be a good way for him to, to get his confidence and get into the, you know, Canadian fold or get himself noticed. So uh, I think big things are coming for him. But uh, yeah, it's just exciting to see him burst onto the fold here and it's just nice to see canadians in the premier league because all the other leagues are obviously top leagues but you know like if we'd like to admit it or not that premier league is definitely the biggest of the european leagues over here in canada so it's always nice to see whenever canadians play in the prem absolutely uh without without any further conversation alex you got you got anything else before we we sign off here and we'll be back later in the week to to preview some houston stuff so we'll We'll save that for later on. But uh, yeah, any final thoughts before we before we go? I mean, just shout out to, to the folks over at Macy Sports for their support, as usual. It's always appreciated. They, they're doing a lot for local soccer, local sports over in North Van, located, located near the Lionsgate Bridge. You know where to find them. We're, we just released our latest giveaway, an MLS 2020 match ball. It's official. It's a beauty. If you know the sun's starting to come out more these days, you want to go play footy with some of your friends while well, you can enter our contest. You know, just you have to be able to pick up the ball in Vancouver. That's a loan requirement. But uh, if you're able to enter, I'd say enter. This is a great opportunity. And a shout out to Macy's Sports for all that. Yeah, Macy's is bringing it in terms of the giveaways so far. Uh, two, two really big prominent items, and uh, it's great to see uh, Giovanni who who won the wave kit posting that on on Twitter and kind of getting involved. So. Uh, like to have that you know back and back and forth with the listeners out there so yeah you know enter the giveaway and uh and yeah maybe if you win the match ball you know post a clip of you going upper 90 with it after after you win it so uh yeah without further ado you can you can find me as always at samuel underscore rowboat on twitter at 86 forever.com shout out to our andrew ball who was in the stadium at SKC, uh, got an interview with the Whitecaps Club reporter. They, you know, posted a photo of him early in the match on on Instagram and Twitter. He was all over the place. So uh, not only is he, you know, is he photoed as a Whitecaps fan, but also writes some really good stuff for the site, including coffee with caps. So check that stuff out. Um, yeah, you can find our podcast at Third Sub Pod on Twitter at the Third Sub on Instagram. And yeah, over to you, Alex. Hey, you can find me on Twitter at Alex Gungarus. I got BTS Fan City, BTSFanCity.com. You know, obviously, with there not being three games in nine days, do have some fun content. Gonna do some more analysis, some more, more video room stuff if that's your thing. Obviously, you know, some other content as well. And then if you like Canada stuff, once the, the Whitecaps play Houston, I'm gonna go all in on some Canada stuff because obviously, not much else to talk about the Whitecaps, and it might be wise to. to take a break from talking about them for a few weeks anyway so uh gonna be a lot of that if you that's up your alley obviously if you want to find us you can find us at third sub pod on twitter at the third sub 
on Instagram. Sam might have mentioned that, but uh, you know, always just good to, to put that out there. But on that note, thanks everyone, and we'll catch you on the other other side with episode 96.